It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Day one of BYU Spring Ball is in the books. What to take away from guys throwing it around in just helmets? We'll talk about that. And also, good riddance to the West Coast Conference. BYU Hoops says goodbye and looks ahead to the Big 12. You are Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast on the BYU Cougars. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? I'm Jake Hatch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. Thank you for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. Always appreciate you guys checking us out. We're very proud to be part of the Locked On Podcast Network. The motto is your team every day, and as such, we are your only daily podcast focused on the BYU Cougars. Let's dive right in on today's show and talk some BYU football. Day one of BYU Spring Ball is in the books. I was out there. We had about 20 to 25 minutes of media observation, uh, able to watch BYU you running some team drills, albeit there's still an acclimatization period for BYU, so the players were only in helmets and jerseys. No pads have gone on yet, so it made it hard for me to draw any definitive, uh, like, what I would take away is a hard and fast lesson or what I learned from day one. But there are a couple of things that show out, even if guys are just wearing helmets, and that in particular is the play of quarterbacks, their decision-making, their ability to deliver passes accurately and on time. And I got to say, for one day, Keaton Slovis looked very much the part folks. I, I, like I said, I'm not trying to draw any definitive conclusions. It's just one day of practice, but Aaron Roderick said in his post-practice media session, it looks like this guy's been around for years. Uh, they expect that Keaton Slovis is going to look more like the quarterback that was playing at USC versus what he showed at Pitt last year. This is a more quarterback-friendly fr- quarterback offense he's playing in at BYU, and obviously Aaron Roderick has shown the ability to tailor his offenses to the quarterback he has at the controls of his uh, of his attack. So uh, I would expect that whatever Keaton Slovis's strengths are, and most notably what I understand is, is his ability to throw the deep ball. He's got a very, very pretty deep ball. The play of the day, I'll just, I'm not going to bury the lead here, was a deep ball, probably 40-ish yards covered on a deep ball from Keaton Slovis to Dom Henry. And uh, the former walk-on, the former Florida uh, high school player of the year, uh, Dom Henry, a walk-on with the BYU football program, made a great adjustment to the deep ball, but Keaton Slovis delivered it just with accuracy, It's a nice, tight spiral, high-arcing throw, and just, wow. If he can make that type of a throw in a real game-day environment against a Big 12 defense and a potential all-conference corner, BYU's going to have something really nice at the quarterback position. But let me also, once again, caution you. It's one day of practice, and that, that's the thing about this. Like I'm, I'm not trying to overreact too much, but really nice to see him. I also thought guys like Nick Billups and Cade Fennigan, they were the other two quarterbacks in the media session that we were able to observe as a media core run BYU's offense. We did not see Jake Retzleff. Uh, of course, Kalani Sitake said after the practice that it was nothing to worry about. I said just the rotation is how it ended up. I actually thought Nick Billups was a pretty efficient uh, uh, off. Well, he was pretty efficient running the offense is what I'm trying to say. 
Cade Finnegan, I also thought, had a really, really uh, solid outing as well running BYU's offense. Finnegan's going to be an interesting case because if he can stay healthy, he's got the talent to be a player in this quarterback battle. The problem is, every time he seemingly has been in the mix, he has picked up an injury and it's just really knocked him back. Think about when he was competing last year for the backup job behind Jaron Hall with with Jacob Conover. It just didn't materialize for him because he picked up some injuries and just has never been that way for him. So if he can stay healthy, he could be a guy who can compete for backup minutes. Aaron Roderick has made it very, very clear that Keenan Slovis is going into spring and has started spring as the number one QB and will be getting starters-type reps for BYU. It will take a lot for somebody to supplant him, barring an injury during spring and also going into the summer and training camp later on uh, in August. But I I really liked what I saw day one from the quarterbacks in particular. It all showed pretty live arms, the ability to get the ball out uh, when pressured. And by the way, even if they're not wearing pads, the offensive and defensive line was getting after it. There was some nice pushing and shoving going on, but it really won't count for much in terms of my uh, definitive declarations about the interior of BYU's defensive front and offensive front until they really put some shoulder pads on, even full pads. And hopefully I'll have to talk to you more about that on Friday when we're back out there as a media core. Other things that I took away from this, just look at my notes. I thought that uh, Soljay Maiava-Peters looked noticeable thicker. He is now playing running back, at least for the spring period for BYU. Aaron Roderick has made it no secret that they will continue to look at him as a gadget player if they needed him to run a trick play as a quarterback. He's got a decent enough arm to maybe make that throw on a RB pass, that type of a deal as a slot receiver, and he looked noticeably thicker. He has put on the weight in the offseason to bulk up and play running back here. Is it proved to be his long-term position? Only time will tell, but he had a nice catch out of the backfield for BYU uh, during the team portion that we were able to observe I also really thought that uh, BYU had a really nice showing from some of their younger wide receivers. We're not going to see much of Cody Epps. Chase Roberts, I think, will be a hit-or-miss guy in terms of his availability. They're not going to run him into the ground uh, this spring because they know what they've got from him. I think the same thing with Keanu Hill. But guys like, uh, uh, not Cade Fennigan. I'm thinking of Hobbs Nyberg. That's what I'm thinking of. I thought I had a pretty nice day as well for BYU. He actually caught a touchdown pass, if I recall correctly, from Cade Fennigan, if that was the connection, if I if I don't have my notes incorrect there. But the biggest, uh, I guess, concern from day one, because this is something that I don't care if you're wearing pads or not, that needs to be rectified, is that BYU's kicking game, at least through one day, looked absolutely atrocious. They had uh, different kickers attempt 47-yard field goals with all their teammates crowding around them, making noise, whooping and hollering and jumping up and down. They cranked the music to the loudest it was in the indoor practice facility and all of the kicks. I think there were three of them in all. All of them missed. One was wide right to begin with. Actually, was the best-looking kick of the bunch. Had it been just a little bit to the left, that's probably the one that is good. The next two that I saw, and I was unable to identify who the kickers were, so I apologize in terms of uh, not being able to tell you which kickers did what. The next two, though, were like sidewinder, just awful uh, strikes on, on a kick, and neither of them got anywhere close to going through the uprights. Uh, it is going to be interesting to see if the kicking position can come along because th- one day, like I said, I take it with a grain of salt because it's only one day, but the kicking position needs to be addressed. Uh, you might make a phone call to uh, Jake Oldroyd and say, "Hey, you sure you you want to use up that la- you don't want to use up that last year of eligibility? You want to come back and kick for us because it may be something worth looking into." I uh, had a really good opportunity to catch up with two uh, BYU players that will be playing on podcasts later in the week. Uh, I had a chance to catch up with Lisa Lata. 
high, a guy that Aaron Roderick has identified as a potential NFL talent at offensive tackle slash offensive guard. You'll hear that conversation later on this week as well as a great chat with Malik Moore. Why did he come back for another year? What is he looking to do in now uh, his second, essentially, senior year for him? We'll have both of those conversations later on this week. And like I said, we'll be back out there as a media core on Friday with more observation to come for you guys uh, early next week and on into the weekend, etc. All right, coming up next, though, let's flip over and talk some BYU basketball. The West Coast Conference era is done for all intents and purposes as BYU falls in the semifinals of the West Coast Conference Tournament. We'll talk about that and what to take away from BYU's West Coast Conference run here in just a moment. First, a word on our friends over at Built Bar. Are you looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories that a regular candy bar will have for you guys? Then you got to try a Built Bar. They're absolutely incredible. The best part is they taste incredible as well. You will not believe how good they taste as compared to how healthy they are for you guys. The best part is you start with, they're they're covered in 100% real chocolate. they got a myriad of different flavors. The best part is the macros on these things are absolutely incredible. 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein packed into each one of these bars. They've got the marshmallow, what they call puff bars, or the regular built bars. I think both of them have their merits, and they're absolutely delicious on both sides. you got great flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and coconut almond, but that's just like the tip of the iceberg when it comes to your options. The best part is you just have to wait and order your uh, built bars online and have them shipped to your home. Now you actually can get them in your local Smith's and or Sam's Club. Stop by today and pick up a four-bar pack at Smith's, or if you want them in bulk, go to your nearest Sam's Club and pick up a 13-bar pack. They're both available now, like I said, at your local Smith's and or Sam's Club, but if you still don't mind waiting online, you can save 15% by going to built.com and using the promo code LOCKEDON15 when you get there. The best part is Built Bars are absolutely delicious. They're incredibly healthy for you guys, so give them a shot. That's built.com using the promo code LOCKEDON15, or stop by and pick up your Built Bars today at Smith's and or Sam's Club. That's Built Bar, the best tasting protein bars ever. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at UCCU. UCCU is opening a new branch, my friends, in Vineyard. To celebrate, UCCU is giving away 2023 Kawasaki Terex for UTV. Vineyard is one of the fastest growing cities in the state, as we all know, and the new branch offers all the benefits of a UCCU branch. Multiple drive-up lanes, a 24-hour ATM, and a UCCU's brand new interactive teller machine, or ITM for short, which provides all the benefits of meeting with a real-life UCCU either in a branch right from your vehicle. It's a virtual connection to a remote teller with a highly personalized audio and video connection. So celebrate the new Vineyard UCCU branch today. Enter to win that 2023 Kawasaki Terex 4 UTV. The best part is the winner will be announced in April, just in a month's time. Just in time for you to get out and have some summer fun if the snow ever stops. But nonetheless, stop by UCCU's new branch in Vineyard today, conveniently located next to the Megaplex Theaters and Topgolf, or enter at uccu.com. You do not have to be a member of UCCU to enter, and there is no purchase necessary. That's UCCU. Love where you bank. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. Always appreciate you guys checking out the show. Today's show uh, is brought to you in part by our friends over at the brand new Locked On College Basketball Podcast. It's March, my friends. The madness is here. It's championship week this week, and of course next week. It is the best weekend of the sports calendar, at least this time of year. That is the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament. Make sure you check out that Locked On brand new podcast, Locked On College Basketball. Get up to speed on everything March Madness right now. It's available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. All right, so BYU loses 
in the semifinals of the West Coast Conference Tournament last night, 76-69. to They trailed by as many as 26 points in this game, and they whittled it, whittled it down excuse me, to just three points with under a minute to go, but were unable to get over the hump, and they fall and crash out of the West Coast Conference Tournament. Now, making a run to the semifinals, I think, is actually a pretty decent uh, run for BYU, all things considered. This was a basketball program that's just been night and day, up and down, all season long. And they had a nice run uh, on Friday and Saturday, making it to the semifinals, and had they played a little bit better in that first half, there's a chance they may have been able to grind out a win against St. Mary's. BYU's losses to St. Mary's all by single digits. One, uh, six, and seven points, I think, are the total margins, but in every one of those games, BYU was right in it down the stretch and just unable to get over the hump. It's kind of the story of BYU's season to a degree. Now, it also essentially ends BYU's run in the West Coast Conference. Now, BYU is, according to most metrics out there, on the bubble for the NIT. Uh, I would think if the NIT values dollars and butts and seats and that type of stuff, BYU may get one of those uh, at-large invites. The biggest question will be, though, because the NIT is obligated if a conference champion of one of these so-called one-bid conferences does not win the NCAA tournament berth or upset, etc., they are automatically obligated to give a spot in the NIT to those tournament uh, number one seeds, the regular season champions of these various conferences. And that could push BYU completely off the bubble and off into what could be like the CBI or what they used to call the CIT, some of these different tournaments that are pay-to-play. I fully expect, unless BYU gets an NIT bid, and even then, I think BYU might consider just saying, you know what, we're done with the season, we need to get back to work, uh, revamping the roster, getting back on recruiting, uh, Mark Pope maybe making some staff changes. There's a lot to get done for the BYU men's basketball program as they get ready to join the Big 12 Conference. Do I think the BYU's in a place where they can go in and compete in the Big 12 right away? No. I, I think they will be a bottom tier of the Big 12 as currently constituted, but the transfer portal, both giveth and taketh away. And Mark Pope, I think, has learned a lot of lessons this season hopefully, about how he needs to go about constructing his roster going into the Big 12. Will ultimately yield what BYU fans are yearning for? Mm, I, I I would have a hard time believing that. There are nice pieces that are on this roster. I think guys like Dallin Hall and Richie Saunders have very uh, nice futures ahead of them uh, if they stick around at BYU, but I would expect you're going to see a number of guys leave this roster, uh, whether the guys who transferred in just barely or guys who've been on the roster for some time. You'll see a for this roster, but also additions via the transfer portal. I'm also fully expecting changes on the bench for BYU. I I don't think Mark Pope can go to his bosses at BYU right now and say that we're all good. It's just, it wasn't good enough. BYU sunk to maybe their, no, it was not maybe. It was their worst season since the 9-21 season of Steve Cleveland's final year leading the BYU basketball program. They finished with a below 500 record in conference play. That's completely unacceptable, especially at the level BYU's competing at. The West Coast Conference is not the Big 12. They are far from it. They are a top-heavy league, and BYU could do no better than finishing in fifth place in that conference. This is not good enough. The last two seasons for BYU are unacceptable by their own standards. It's absolutely incredible to me as a guy who watched the Jimmer Fredette era. I was a radio intern working with Greg Rubel the year that Jimmer lit up NCAA basketball. I was sending highlights and uh, different audio packages to all the major national outlets during that period. And when I heard BYU was going to the West Coast Conference, considering what BYU had done in the Mountain West Conference to that point, I had no doubt that BYU would be able to go into the West Coast Conference and be a power 
player, if not win it more often than not. Winning the conference is what I'm meaning. Uh, like I said, Gonzaga was very, very good. We already knew this. BYU had beaten Gonzaga in that run uh, with Jimmer Fredette in the fold. So you thought, okay, okay, Gonzaga's good. They're, they're a decent program, and they're going to obviously uh, be a tough draw, but BYU should be able to hold up against this, against that type of a team. Well, when you have the Haas brothers, Eric Mika, oh man, on down the list, Jake Toulson, uh, just Yoli Childs, the talent that BYU had come through the program during the West Coast Conference era, it's an utter shame that BYU yielded uh, neither a regular season title nor a conference tournament title during that time in the West Coast Conference. Now, I know know a number of you are going to comment in the section below this on YouTube and also tweet at me saying that we had no idea that Gonzaga was going to take it to the level they took it to. Okay, sure, but we already knew Gonzaga was a national player. This was no longer the Gonzaga that was the Cinderella back in the late 90s and early 2000s. This was a Gonzaga program that had national aspirations. Yes, they did play for two national titles during the West Coast Conference era for BYU. But the fact that BYU couldn't once get over the hump with the amount of talent they had in this program, it's a, it's a shame, and it's a failure for BYU. The West Coast Conference era for BYU is one of just unfulfilled expectations, and it's just a tough deal to absorb as a BYU fan out there because you, you, I think any of you, who are paying attention to BYU at the end of their run in the Mountain West Conference with Dave Rose seemingly at the peak of his powers with that program and that roster. Going into the West Coast Conference, it felt like in many ways it was going to be a layup for BYU to compete for conference supremacy. Well, Gonzaga stepped up their game. St. Mary stepped up their game. Other programs like Santa Clara later on in BYU's WCC run stepped it up. Pepperdine had their own a little bit of a run. Uh, Pacific under David Stoudemire was decent for a hot minute there. So the, the, the situation was the BYU in some ways coming in into the West Coast Conference actually caused the rest of the conference to up their game, increase their uh, their investment in basketball, all that stuff. So it was a net positive probably for the West Coast Conference in that regard, but the fact that BYU couldn't put it together and get over the hump at any point during that was it an 11 or 12-year run as a member of the WCC, I don't know how you can look at it as anything other than a disappointment and a failure for BYU relative to the expectations and what we all hoped for when BYU went into the conference. But like I said, it's a new era for BYU. Coming this fall, the Big 12 is coming to BYU, and BYU is going to the Big 12, and it's going to cause all kinds of new... uh, Speed bumps, road uh, blocks, all kinds of challenges for Mark Pope. If Mark Pope is still the coach, by the way, there's not, it's not even, I think, a guaranteed deal that he sticks around at BYU. I'm not saying that he's going to step aside. Let me be very clear about that. But he could decide, you know what, I, I've had my run here at BYU. I, I want to do something else. But nonetheless, there is a whole new era for BYU basketball coming, and they have got to embrace the challenges. They have got to remake this roster. You've got to find some bona fide shooters and make sure that you have the opportunity to go out and get them into the program. Increase the NIL money if you have to. Use that Royal Collective. Mark Pope should be pleading with these business leaders that are part of the Royal Blue Collective saying, folks, if you want me to have the talent I need to compete in the Big 12, I need to have the the cash, essentially. I need to have the money to be able to flash at these recruits to get them in the door to BYU. I, I know that's it's a it's a taboo subject. We're not supposed to talk about it. The schools aren't supposed to be involved with the collectives and blah, 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 blah. The simple fact of the matter is if you want top-tier prospects, especially when it comes to the West Coast Conference, it's the old Jerry Maguire line, show me the money.
That's all that matters. If BYU really wants to have a competitive roster, at least early on in their Big 12 era. Like I said, they've already got some pieces. Nice guys like Dallin Hall, Richie Saunders. I really think that they have an opportunity to be pillars for BYU to build around, but they need more than that. They need some actual big men. Nothing against Fusini Traore, but he got bottled up against uh, St. Mary's. What will a program like Kansas do to a guy like Fus when he gets out against them? They will bottle him up and then some. If, if St. Mary's and Gonzaga can do it, you can guarantee that at least six, seven, or eight of the Big 12 programs can do that very thing. BYU needs to find a big man that you can toss the rock to in the middle and can be a defensive force on the inside. Atiki Ali Atiki is a curious project, but he is far from a finished project. He had a decent outing, I felt like, in the West Coast Conference Tournament, but it's just not uh, the guy that you, I think you can build the bedrock of your defense around. You've got to find more options, more offense. You've got to find better players across the board for BYU. You and supplement what you have. Like I said, you're going to build around like Dallin Hall, Richie Saunders. I, I think Tanner Toulson's in that mix. If Spencer Johnson decides to come back for another year, he's a nice glue guy to have on the roster for BYU. But you've got to have some bona fide scores, guys who can light it up from three. BYU, when they've been their absolute best, think about the first year with Mark Pope. What were they the best in the country, literally the best in the country at? Three pointers, three point percentage. They were knocking them down at a prodigious rate. You've got to get back to that. And what it's what it's going to require is to get in the mix with NIL and have enough money to compete with the big boys when it comes to getting that top-tier talent out of the transfer portal. Is, is it going to come to pass? Is it really going to uh, shake out that way? Only time will tell, but that's exactly what BYU needs to gun for here if they truly want to be players in the Big 12, at least early on. And I even then... BYU finishing the top half of the conference in the first four or five years in the Big 12 for me seems like a pipe dream, just how things look right now. But then again, looking when BYU left the Mountain West Conference, going to the West Coast Conference, it sure seemed like BYU was on their way to big, grand, glorious things as a member of the WCC, and that yielded, like I said, zero championships of any form, regular season, conference season, all that type of stuff. Uh, Other thing real quick, a tip of the cap to the BYU women's basketball team. They also fell to Gonzaga in the semifinals of the West Coast Conference tournament. I failed to note them on yesterday's podcast, as some of you pointed out, Jeff Henor among you. So Jeff, thank you for the reminder. But uh, a tough way to end the season for BYU women's basketball. Had a decent run in their own right in the West Coast Conference tournament. But right now, if you were to ask me which roster, to me, looks better prepared, at least on paper, to compete in the Big 12 early on, I'd say with the recruiting class that uh, the women's basketball program has put together, I'd actually give BYU women's basketball right now a better chance to compete in the Big 12. And it's still not going to necessarily be all that easy for the women's hoops team, but that uh, recruiting class they have put together so far looks fairly, fairly good, and BYU men's basketball will have to try and answer that and find uh, find the type of players that women's basketball has been able to collect in this most recent recruiting cycle. All right, uh, enough on the hoops scene. We'll talk more about that. We'll probably do more retrospectives on what the West Coast Conference era meant for BYU. Of course, any changes with the roster, coaching staff, all that type of stuff, keep it locked right here on Locked On Cougars. We'll make sure to keep you guys up to speed on everything Everything with regards to BYU hoops and football, as we always do. All right, we'll finish out today's show with a look back. Our retrospective of all 155 BYU football games of their independent era continues. We're actually going two for one today. It was an FCS game followed by one of the bigger games of the 2013 season. We're going to put them back to back because FCS games to me are just a waste of time. I'm not going to waste an entire segment talking about that. We'll get to both of those in just a moment. First, a word on our friends over at FanDuel. Of course, uh, it is basketball season, my friends. The NBA season is 
is coming down to the final stretch, and now is the perfect time for you guys to download FanDuel. It's America's number one sports book, and because uh, new customers will get what they call a no-sweat first bet if you get down on the uh, FanDuel Sportsbook app right now, it's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. They want to make sure you guys feel comfortable working the system, and like I said, if you don't, your first bet doesn't win, you get a free no-sweat first bet with a free reward from our friends over at uh, FanDuel. Just download the FanDuel Sports app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use, excuse me. And then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drain. The best part is you can go out there. They have exclusive bets like a two for three, which they call it. It's two three-pointers scored in the first three minutes of a game. They've got really, really fun bets you can place your money on. The best part is FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay as well. So don't miss out on the fun and get started with your no-sweat first bet over at FanDuel.com slash locked on. Once again, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more now. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles, including the number one selling compact tractor in the USA. And now through June 30, get 0% APR for 84 months or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at KubotaOrangedays.com. Your family, your land, and your livestock deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's KubotaOrangedays.com. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. And always appreciate you guys being a part of this podcast. Uh, By the way, if you guys have comments at any time, Reach out via social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can find us Locked On Cougars. Follow us there. We'll be sure to share some more content on those various platforms. My personal Twitter feed, if you'd like to weigh in there, is Jacob C. Hatch. And as always, you can reach out via email by emailing us. LockedOnBYU at gmail.com is the email address if you want to reach out that way. All right. Before we go on today's show, our look back at BYU's 155 uh, football games as an independent continues to get towards the tail end of the 2013 season. As I mentioned, uh, with the FCS games going forward, very few of them have really any noteworthy thing in them that I can think of that I want to talk about. So BYU, in their 10th game of the season, just absolutely crushed Idaho State for the second straight year. It's 59-13. BYU was up. It was, it was 49-3 uh, at halftime. Just an absolutely insane uh, output for BYU. Taysom Hill actually had a pretty awful day, all things considered. 153 yards, two touchdowns, but three interceptions in this game, kind of backsliding from what he had been earlier on in the season in that 2013 campaign. But BYU raced out to a big lead and just made life absolutely miserable for Idaho State. They tried to tack on some points in the end. They got up to 13 points. But BYU piled up 578 yards in front of 58,000 fans. And Adam Hine had 141 yards when his finest outings as a BYU Cougar rushing the football. Jamal Williams had 130. 31 yards and three touchdowns. BYU as a team ran for 46 yards and four, uh, 46 times, excuse me, for 421 yards. Those are a service academy triple option offense type numbers. 9.2 yards per carry. Three players. Adam Hine, Jamal Williams, and Taysom Hill all averaged over 10 yards per carry with A.J. Moore averaging 9.5 yards per carry. It was just an absolute domination for BYU. Had them feeling good. They're 7-3, and three, but then they headed out to a snowy South Bend uh, in late November. BYU was 7-3 and three going up against Notre Dame, who was sitting at 7-3 uh, and three in their own right. And BYU, just in a similar circumstance to what happened in 2012, BYU just got absolutely crushed in this game. Just unable to really compete uh, against what uh, the 
the Fighting Irish had for BYU. Uh, Tommy uh, Tommy Rees had uh, 235 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Notre Dame controlled a lot of the action like they did uh, compare. Uh, cons- what I'm trying to say, uh, the same as they did in 2012 by controlling the ground game. 47 carries for 235 yards, but BYU also ran the ball relatively well in the snowy conditions. It was it was just an awful day. I remember I was watching it, actually. Uh, if you guys know the Iggies that used to be up there in uh, near downtown Salt Lake, it's now, I think, like Don Joaquin's Street Tacos or something like that. You know, it's over in the corner uh, across from it's a Pioneer Park right there. I was actually watching that game in that Iggy's as it went down. I was like, man, it looks absolutely miserable. Uh, Pauly CK had a four carries for 101 yards. He's absolutely marvelous, averaging 25.3 yards per carry. But BYU just unable to do much of anything, it felt like, in this game because Notre Dame led 17-7 to at halftime, and BYU just could not uh, get their offense going enough in the just awful conditions out there in South Bend as the Fighting Irish defeated them for the second straight year, 23-13. to The other thing I will take away from this game, funny enough, is that you look back at some of these games and w- which players were playing what in this. Uh, Jamal Williams, really ineffective. Uh, they Just overall, 18 carries for 43 yards. Taysom Hill completed 21 of 36 passes, but just 168 yards. 4.7 yards per attempt. That's an awful awful ratio for a quarterback. He did have 101 yards rushing on 24 attempts, but BYU just, like I said, really unable to get anything untracked offensively in this game, and alas, they fell to 7-4 and four on the year, and then they had their final game of the season as they would head out to Nevada, of all places, uh, to finish up the 2013 season, and we will talk about that game and what that all entails. We've rounded out the 2013 season on tomorrow's show. Like, like I said, uh, tomorrow on the podcast, I will play Lee Solitai. I had a great conversation with him, a guy that I really enjoyed getting to know a little bit better. He is a big, big human being. You will see it for yourself in our video that we'll have for you guys on tomorrow's podcast, so stay tuned for that. Anything else that comes out with regards to the Pac-12 and Big 12, uh, there was a piece by Pete Thamel out there about the Pac-12. Well, it sounds like the really decision day or what's going to, the latest news should come out is tomorrow, speaking of Tuesday. Uh, when the George Klyovkov is expected to hopefully have an update for Pac-12 administrators. If any news leaks out on that, we'll of course have that covered for you guys as well, and we'll continue to track all of that for you guys, as well as BYU Spring Ball, BYU Basketball heading into their offseason to make the NIT regardless. We'll have it all covered for you. Trust me, we will get you guys up to speed every single day right here on the podcast. So until tomorrow, have a great rest of your day. Thank you once again for making us your first listen. Now go make your second listen. Our friends over the Locked On Big 12 podcast. Get that free and available wherever you get your podcast. It's also available on YouTube. So once again, thank you for your support as always. Have a great day, my friends. This has been the Locked On Cougars podcast. See ya. NCAA tournament is almost here and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.